Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Well, we're so pleased to have Mr. James Adams in our studio today to talk about his book, Waffle Street. James, welcome to the program, and thank you for interrupting your very busy schedule to tell us about this very insightful book on Wall Street called Waffle Street. Thanks, Darrell. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. If you could, share with our guest a little bit about your background and, you know, your education background, and then we'll get into how you came about to write Waffle Street. Sure. Uh, well, I attended Wake Forest University in North Carolina, graduated in 2001 with a major in finance and accounting. I uh, went to work for a life insurance company and um, invested uh, the premiums into, uh, into corporate bonds. I had done similar work uh, later on in North Carolina for another firm, and uh, eventually I went to a large uh, money manager who um, managed uh, assets for pension funds, endowments, uh, mutual funds, insurance companies, you name it, uh, we ran the money. Um, we were sort of at the epicenter of the uh, great mortgage meltdown of 2007-2008. Uh, uh, we had owned at least uh, $15 billion in those assets uh, for our various clients, uh, many of whom were, were overnational, excuse me, international, you know, overseas institutions. And um, when the uh, mortgage market started to tank, from revenues declined, and I was let go in the third wave of layoffs in early 2009. Uh, subsequently decided that uh, I just needed a break from financial markets, needed to figure a few things out, and so I ended up uh, working in food service. I took a six-month uh, sabbatical, so to speak, and uh, learned uh, you know, a lot of life, life lessons and got a lot more uh, out of the experience than I bargained for. And so uh, uh, thus came the memoir, Waffle Street, The Confession and Rehabilitation of a Financier. So before we get into the book, I have noticed all across America, well, really the Southeast, um, the Waffle Street. So you, you actually part, partake in a little bit of the, the waffles at the Waffle Street? Oh, the Waffle House restaurant. The Waffle House, right? yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's sort of a, a portmanteau, right, a plan words between like Waffle House and, and Wall Street and the fact that Wall Street tends to waffle, right? Uh, yeah, so during my undergraduate years, right, you go to a Waffle House at 2 or 3 in the morning when you're hungry or after a night out with your friends and, and every other place is closed. And, uh, and you go there for, uh, for a good time, you know, plate of, of hash browns or waffles, and uh, it can get kind of rambunctious in there right after the bar's closed. So that was um, sort of my primary memory of, of the institution. And so it was kind of funny to be on the other you know, side of the, the coin where you're serving those people. Um, you're waiting on those rambunctious people. So mm -hmm. it, was, uh, it was interesting. And why did you choose the food industry um, during your sabbatical? Well, um, I just needed to do something away from finance. And really, at the time, there were no other uh, financial services firms that were hiring. So I just uh, I needed to clear my head. I mean, the um, meltdown had sort of been slowly, you know, occurring over the previous I'll say at least 24 months. So, um, you know, I, I, I just needed some respite, but I also felt like I needed to do some, you know, honest work and, and maybe some manual labor for a change, really. Mm -hmm. And then 
how did this revelation come to you about writing this memoir, Waffle Street? Well, it's really kind of a fish-out-of-water narrative. I mean, um, I don't know what I expected when I went in there, but, uh, you know, there were not a lot of you know, white-collar types working the graveyard shift. In fact, all of my colleagues, I think, save the manager, you know, were, uh, you know, ex-convicts. You know, a lot of them were, were still on parole, so uh, it, it just created a, a very interesting milieu to gain some some good anecdotes because uh, these guys were, you know, really really down to earth, and um, it, it sort of gave me a lot of um, cause to you know ponder about sort of the course of my career versus theirs. Um, in, in many cases, these guys had been you know like uh, drug dealers, and you know supposedly they're paying this that to society in prison. And you know, I sort of compare that with my own experience, where you're you're buying all of these mortgages, um, which doesn't really end up helping uh, the clients you're supposed to be investing for, and mm-hmm. it ends up hurting a lot of the people that get the mortgages because they end up buying more house than they can afford, and then it all culminates in a big bailout. So it, it sort of raises a lot of philosophical questions that that I wanted to you know address in the book. You know, who who really does more damage to society? Is it the drug mm-hmm. dealer, or is it the irresponsible financier? Mm. Mostly, it's just it's just sort of a fun, again, fish out of water narrative where you know I'm this you know clueless guy in his early 30s that has no idea you know what he's doing at 3 a.m. when everyone's barking orders at him and people are threatening to throw grits at you. But there are <laughs> there are these philosophical interludes as well. Interesting. So, how do you feel today in regards to? your thoughts and comments in regards to, on one hand, you have the folks who are serving their time because they've done some illegal activities, selling drugs. Uh, But then we have these other folks, the white-collar folks on Wall Street who created this false market that hurt thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of families and hurt our economy. But yet there's been a cry for more folks to uh, be taken to court and to be held accountable for their actions. But that hasn't happened too much. Well, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, well, this could, this could quickly turn into a two-hour program if I start pontificating. But uh, it's oh, certainly... please pontificate because I'm sure, <laughs> you know, a lot of folks, we're not out the woods yet. It is now 2013. Right. And... Uh, we're still hearing about areas trying to recover or people trying to recover their lives, uh, not only with the housing, but the whole effect it had on the whole economy. Uh, you know, considering um, uh, what I call the knuckleheads in Congress uh, who are, are playing footsies with each other and messing up our, uh, our, our, our resurgence in our economy. But please pontificate. Well, I think most people that are dealing drugs probably are aware of the perils of addiction. Um, even if you're not out to, like, you know, create a, a bunch of addicted clients, I mean, maybe that's, that's your goal, but you realize that people can OD and seriously hurt themselves or cause brain damage or what have you. Um, the one thing I will say, to, I won't say I'll, I'll quit the folks on Wall Street, but I, I don't think that they understand philosophically the perils of, you know, sort of um, proliferating consumer debt. You tend to think of everything in terms of numbers. And, and to me, this is really the heart of the problem, and it, it goes back to the way we teach economics and finance, is that 
we, we teach it in far too uh, quantitative terms. In other words, you know, what's my potential return on this, and can I build a, a computer model that explains what my return is likely to be? And there is very little pause for reflection to stop and think about what am I really financing here? What is the use of proceeds? Is there going to be some you know, positive benefit? And really, you, you don't see that in any uh, curricula. You know, I've got um, a, a, an undergraduate degree in finance. I've got an um, MBA from uh, University of North Carolina with a concentration in finance. And then mm-hmm. I've got uh, another professional uh, designation. And it, it's just not really covered. So I, I don't think that most of the you know, at Bear Stearns or Lehman or whatever, um, I mean, there were certainly cases of fraud, but I don't think the average, um, you know, mortgage salesman thought about uh, the potential for, um, you know, problems that he was creating by, by, you know, slinging all this debt around. And to me, that's, that's the real deficiency, is that there's no philosophical aspect to finance or economics. I, there used to be 100 years ago, if you read about the way we used to approach these, these things, but um, it's all been sort of... Um, erased from the curriculum, unfortunately. Mm. Now, the little guy who was gathering the mortgages, I agree with you. They're just doing their job to say, hey, here's an opportunity. But the real crime was at the top where they took these bad loans and then gave them some type of, what, a triple A rating or something? Right, right. Yeah, yeah they, they were packaged and um, sold, you know, with a triple A rating, and there was certainly some uh, bad incentive, <laughs> excuse me, incentive to that um, you know encouraged the uh, rating agencies to do that. Uh, to be candid, you know, at, at my former employer, you know, we did all of our own proprietary uh, risk analysis, looking at what we thought uh, the defaults would be, home price appreciation trends, you know, uh, FICO scores for the borrowers. But here's here's the problem, Darrell. At, at the end of the day, in all of these models, you didn't actually look at what the disposable, you know, discretionary income was mm-hmm. for each of the borrowers mm-hmm. relative to their debt service payments. Right. And it, it's, it's the basic, you know, fundamental, you know, uh, coverage ratio. And all of that sort of got lost in these models that were so dependent on this assumption of, you know, at least modest home price appreciation, because right. in that scenario, you can always refinance. That's so right. it, it goes back to sort of, uh, you know, just missing the forest for the trees or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the most simple thing. Do you have enough income to pay your mortgage? And the answer many times was no. Right, 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 right. And I tell you, back before then, you know, the process was pretty rigorous in regards to showing that you can afford that. And then the regulations came off. And I can remember a gentleman from Forbes writing back in 2003 that he felt that the real estate market was going to was going to have a huge bubble and a huge collapse. And he kept reporting on it, he kept reporting on it, and he kept reporting on it. And folks continued to believe the hype that the appreciation was going to continue. And unfortunately, as we know all too well, uh, it causes huge problems. And what what was your primary goal uh, for Waffle Street? Was it a self-reflection, a, a way for you to... Um, express any of your concerns or frustrations? What did you hope to achieve with Waffle Street? Um, well, before I address that directly, let me uh, comment on uh, something you mentioned just a second ago about, you know, sort of predicting bubbles and things. And uh, if you look at what happened during the dot-com meltdown, you erased basically $10 trillion in U.S. net worth uh, 
between 2000 and 2002. Um, you know, between you know 2006 and 2009, you had U.S. real estate lose about half that value, five trillion dollars. But you have much more dramatic ripple effects, right? And, and the reason for that is because that the holders of those instruments were primarily banks, insurance companies, um, you know, mortgage companies, broker dealers like Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns. So those people had borrowed money to invest in those mortgages. And in the case of the um, you know, stock market meltdown in you know, 2000 to 2002, people hadn't borrowed so much to purchase those stocks. So what you were really seeing was the acute ripple effects when people borrow money to lend money. And that's part of what really shaped um, Waffle Street, is I thought I would just have this sort of collection of anecdotes because really the crisis needed you know, sort of a whipping boy. And I don't mean, you know, in the mold of a, a Bernie Madoff or someone like that, but, but just someone who can really, you know, that, that was sort of my thought with the book is that, look, there's, there's nobody that's really taking their stripes on behalf of the, the financial community. And so that was kind of how I wanted to posture myself and give some people some good comedic fodder by, you know, putting myself in this, you know, pretty uncomfortable situation. But as I started writing the book and having these conversations with these ex-cons and really thinking about, you know, what happened in the meltdown, you know, going back to first principles like borrowing money to lend money, then all of these other motifs sort of found their way into the book. So in addition to the, you know, sort of humorous vignettes, you have these little primers on, you know, money and banking embedded in there. And I have uh, certain anecdotes uh, from the Waffle House that, you know, sort of segue into these, um, you know, brief primers. And so to me, the, the real accomplishment of the book, the thing of which I'm, I'm most proud is the uh, way I, I mesh in these little um, lectures on how the system really works and, and uh, to the extent that there are moral uh, deficiencies in the way that, that we approach finance, you know, weaving those in with the Waffle House anecdotes, I, I'm really proud of that. And um, I think that's really um, kind of the value add in the book is that you can, you know, be amused by, you know, the, uh, the foibles of this former white-collar guy as he tries a second career in food service, but you can also learn a lot about how the way the system works and, and nobody's really teaching that very well and have you considered to go on the lecturing circuit because i do i did find your book quite uh, informative as well as entertaining <laughs> it is for some reason i'm always hungry after i re after i've read a chapter in your book <laughs> well i will say that anecdotally uh, we did a lot for uh, waffle house's sales um i mean it's great food i love it um but uh you know, I, I've done a few lectures at Rotary Clubs and things like that. I spoke to uh, a, a group of um, real estate, uh, commercial real estate brokers at, at one of my former employers had a uh, you know, convention or something. So I've done a few of those things. I, I haven't gone on a, you know, a, a big lecture tour. I'm not sure there's quite enough demand for that. We might need a little more uh, you know, publicity for the book before we could warrant you know, doing that you know, on, a, on a bigger scale. But, uh, yeah, I've done sort of things on a one-off basis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you do lecture, what, 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 what do you stress uh, about the book to your audience? Well, I think it really comes back to this idea of um, sort of a social justice uh, between um, financiers. I, I sort of compare us to, to doctors 
and, you know, a lot of the folks that are incarcerated. I mean, the thing I realized is that a lot of the people that at least I worked with that had, had done time in prison were, were genuinely pretty good people. They just hadn't been afforded many opportunities in life, and so they take the opportunity set to get rich quick that society affords them, namely drug dealing, um, and they run with it. Um, and yet, I can tell you that I would trust my life to a lot more of these people than some of the bond salesmen I dealt with, you know, when I was on Wall Street. So it, you, you realize that um, integrity is not necessarily um, correlated to socioeconomic status. So to me, that's a big lesson. And um, did you find yourself uh, counseling some of uh, the folks who uh, you work with who were former drug dealers and, and giving them advice in regards to how they can move their life forward? Uh, I think they ended up counseling me more than I did them. <laughs> I mean that because um, it was just I was a fish out of water, and they uh, they sort of took me under their wing a little bit. Um, no, I, I think we were just folks that were trying to move um, beyond our past. I, the thing that really struck me was that if you've been in prison, you know, 20, 20-plus years, um, you're so grateful for the opportunity to work, even if it's for you know, two, three dollars an hour plus tips. I mean, these guys, um, there was a real work ethic there. And that's what really impressed me is that, you know, you, you have a time when I, I do think there is abuse of entitlements and the safety net. Uh, that is that is a big problem. But if you look at these guys, you know, they were just grateful for the opportunity to work. And it was very humbling to see guys that, um, Customers didn't always treat you well after the bars closed and they wanted their food, you know, immediately. Um, it takes a certain you know, measure of humility to deal with, uh, with customers like that. But um, I think most of these people, again, were just appreciative of the opportunity to do honest work and to, they saw the restaurant as sort of a, a way station on their way uh, towards a, a bigger career. A number of them, um, you know, got education at community college and, you know, would go on to do... Uh, you know, things that were a little more lucrative and, and less stressful. But, uh, again, there there was just a work ethic there. And I think that the opportunity to do honest work is something that too many people take for granted and, and don't appreciate. Now, you have a lot of great information in your book, Waffle Street. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Mr. James Adams, <clears throat> who is the author of Waffle Street, Confessions and Rehabilitation of a Financier. Um what are your next steps? I mean, are you back into the world of finance? Are you applying the lessons that you learn? Um, are you counseling other financial professionals so that they build a better ethical profile than what they might have done in the past? I um, had gone back to work for a, a software company that uh, actually helps banks uh, sort of monitor their risks and prevent them from doing uh, uh, you know, any things that are that are too foolish with their money. So I felt like that was sort of an interesting way to get uh, back in the industry. Um, currently, I'm working uh, with a firm that it's basically a financial advisory firm. Um, so I'm not, uh, you know, out there buying mortgages or things like that. We're just trying to help people prudently manage uh, their own money. And I think really that's sort of the future of the industry is that, uh, you know, the salad days of making you know, a million dollars a year as a, as a bond salesman or as a trader at one of these firms. I mean, there's always going to be people on Wall Street that make uh, tons of money, but, you know, those jobs are a lot fewer and far between than what they were five years ago. So uh, I do think the real value is, um, you know, counseling individuals on what they need to do. 
and uh, again, I, I liken it to uh, to a physician, right? It's not that it's not that debt is categorically evil, and drugs aren't categorically evil. They just have to be used, you know, in the right times, you know, in the right dosages under the care of of uh, responsible professionals. So that's sort of the way I, I mm-hmm. talk to financiers. Is think of yourselves like physicians, and um, you know, you, you teach people to manage their um, bank accounts and their income prudently just as you would a patient with regards to, you know, his diet and exercise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I thank you for signing the book that you sent me and you wrote, Protect Your Assets and Cover Your Hash Browns. Right. Um, <laughs> again, tied into the uh, Waffle Street uh, vernacular. Uh, if you could tell us at the end of the book, you have articles of economic faith. You close out the book with this. Uh, what is it all about, and what is it that you hope the reader gleams from this? Well, again, I, I didn't set out to write anything that was sort of, uh, you know, didactic or really even um, economic in nature. It, it just sort of found its way in there um, by virtue of, of, of the context of you know what I was doing at, at Waffle House. Um, somebody had sent me an email. A friend of mine had sent me an email. Sort of, you know, we'd been exchanging all of these. Um, links back and forth about, you know, economic news. And he said, well, could you summarize, you know, sort of the way you approach things and think about things? And, and that's sort of what it grew out of, was just uh, trying to condense all of the lessons I had learned uh, from this restaurant experience down to just a few bullet points. And uh, really, you know, I feel like it's, um, it's reasonably comprehensive just for, for being one page. But the main idea is that there's no such thing as a free lunch, and if you want to get anything... You have to produce for it. You have to produce something of value first, whether it's you or whether it's somebody you're borrowing from or somebody that's producing and being taxed and you're given the resources. You have, you know, we collectively as a society have to produce before we can consume. There, there's no free lunch. And that um, the whole role of the financial community is to facilitate those that um, are producing more than they consume. You, you, you want to divert those resources into investments that are reproductive, that can um, help future productivity grow, like you know, building an interstate, you know, um, you know, building a pipeline, building a school. You know, that, that counts. That's investing in human capital. Rather than just lending to um, people to finance current consumption, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help the borrower. It doesn't help the investor. So um, just a few basic tenets about you know, sort of the philosophy of money and, and what we should be doing with it. And that's, that's what's so devoid from uh, everything that's, that's going on now in, in business school curricula. Um, I think doctors, you know, they're, they're always taught, you know, first do no harm. That's the first rule. And we don't have a similar rule uh, in mm. finance, and we need one. So it, it sounds to me that you're saying that um, we need our own Hippocratic, Hippocratic, is it called Hippocratic Oath that doctors have? Right, something uh, to that effect, yeah. Principles by which we're going to do business on a very uh, high moral and ethical basis. Yeah, I think so. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not naive, right? I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. I, I realize that the industry tends to attract a lot of uh, charlatans and things of, of that nature, but mm-hmm. uh, I do think that there are certain, um, you know, regulatory mechanisms you can put in place that, that help prevent. Uh, abuse going forward. I don't think that, uh, you know, Dodd-Frank is a particularly good example of that, mm-hmm. but um, even just just acknowledging what it is that finance is supposed
supposed to be doing and, and getting rid of some really some really bad ideas that are circulating out there. Um, the idea that getting people to just spend money can in and of itself be an economic stimulus, and that's that's not the case. It's what drives growth, what drives employment, is getting people to produce things that other people want to consume, and that's how you get unemployment. That's how you get you know employment levels back to where they need to be. Right. You know, I, I really appreciate um, throughout the book, you, you, at the beginning of the book, you have a definition of debt, you know, and you, you have something that is owed or that one is bound to pay to or perform for another, and then it has a debt of $50. I, I, I like your very practical approach because I don't think that in uh, a lot of the schools that we're covering these very practical, basic, fundamental uh, rules of definition so that folks fully understand when they go get a car loan, what exactly are they receiving and what exactly are they required to do? Well, that's, that's really uh, sort of what gets me out of bed in the morning. If there's one thing I could do, if there's one thing that uh, this endeavor could parlay itself into that would really um, just make me feel worthwhile, it would be to impart some of these ideas to kids while they're still in high school. Because it's, to me, it's ludicrous that you can, you know, that the state requires some cursory knowledge of biology and chemistry, and there's no knowledge of, you know, uh, how, how money really works. And right. I, uh, I illustrate this, I'll talk to grown adults and say, who can tell me what a Federal Reserve note is? Who's seen one? Right. And maybe maybe 5% of the people know that I'm talking about, you know, the cash in your wallet. That's a problem. People should know this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They really, really should. And what do you see as your next step? Well, um, I'm reticent to divulge anything. We'll, we'll have sure. an official announcement in okay. a, a few more weeks, but there is going to be some major uh, publicity um, pertaining to the book. So uh, I, I would love to come back on your show, Darrell, and, and talk about it at length. But uh, you can count on it. I, you know, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I think what what you've written, ladies and gentlemen, I encourage you to go out and order Waffle Street. I'm sure they can get it on Amazon.com. Correct? Yeah, it's on Amazon. It's on Kindle, and it's also on uh, iBooks uh, for your iPad. Um, you can also get it at Barnes and Noble. If they don't have it in stock, they can order it for you. Mm-hmm. And do you have a website uh, for your book? Sure, it's uh, just wafflestreetbook.com. If you Google Waffle Street, you'll find it. Excellent, excellent. Uh, yeah, we, we, we are definitely going to have you back on. And as you know, uh, James, this show is going to be up on iTunes, uh, on iTunes U, under Seton Hall University, under my program, Leadership. And I'll be sure to send you the link so you can share that with your, your friends and family and listeners. But I think you have a very, very unique message that is... Is, is the right time for it because we're at ground zero right now in trying to rebuild this country. And why not rebuild this country on the best principles in regards to finance? I couldn't agree more. And um, please do let us know uh, when you're speaking anywhere because we'll be sure to uh, uh, promote that for you. And we're looking forward to hearing more uh, about your upcoming uh, media blitz, if you will, uh, in regards to uh, Waffle Street. Is there any um, last uh, thoughts you would like to share with our listeners about what type of leadership is needed 
in the finance industry? Um, yes, informed, mm-hmm. informed leadership. And the reason I say that is because I think some of these sort of free lunch ideas, even though, you know, they're, they're not, uh, obviously not, they're not described as such, but if you get to the core philosophy of what they are, um, some of these free lunch ideas, I think, have really infected um, academia for the last um, I'll say 80 years, and I, I don't just mean you know social safety nets. I mean the idea again that just getting people to part with their cash is basically the source of economic growth. That that is that is a really bad idea, but uh, a number of top officials, including folks at the Federal Reserve, really subscribe to it. And um, you know this debate goes back you know 200 years, and so uh, it, it, it's almost like um, if you don't understand how gravity works, you can't ever put a man on the moon. So it, it, we, we can't, you know, similarly, we can't get the economy back up, you know, in the air, right, and, until, until we sort of understand basic physics. And, and that's really what this book is about, is that these people that um, cook for a living really understand this idea of production before consumption. And I don't think most of our economic policy gurus do. I, I really don't. Mm-hmm. Well, very good. And believe it or not, James, we are out of time, but I want to thank you for coming on the program. Thank you. It's been wonderful to be here, Darrell. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Mr. James Adams, who is author of the book, Wall Street, excuse me, Waffle Street. My apologies. We're talking about Wall Street, but Waffle Street, the confession and rehabilitation of a financier. Remember, leadership begins with you. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM, Seton Hall University, and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Have a great weekend.